Well, it is the first day of spring, and uh, my allergies tell me that. I don't even need the calendar, so bear with me. I'm hoping my voice will make it through. No, yelling at the basketball games had nothing to do with it. Well, during this season of Lent, we're spending time in spiritual reflection for the purpose of strengthening our relationship with God. And during the season of Lent, we've been examining Jesus' letters to the churches that were in the ancient Roman province of Asia. And uh, this is found in the book of Revelation. Well, this morning we're taking a look at Jesus' letter to the church in Thyatira. The city of Thyatira is now, it's still there. It's a modern Turkish city called Akasar, or White Castle in English. But ancient Thyatira was a great commercial hub of that entire province. And as this great commercial hub, it, uh, there was a lot of wealthy people that lived there. And when we read the New Testament, we find out that there was this wealthy businesswoman named Lydia, and she helped support Paul on his missionary journeys, and she was from Thyatira. Now, unlike some of the other churches in the Roman province of Asia, persecutions of Christians in Thyatira was extremely rare. It wasn't happening, not yet anyway. Uh, and the church seemed to be doing pretty good. In fact, Jesus praises them for the things they're doing. Let's go to Revelation 2 and pick it up in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and that signified judgment, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. That meant he couldn't be shaken, he wouldn't be moved. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So this church seems to be doing some good stuff. That word in verse 19 that we translate as service, it's a word that throughout the New Testament is often and almost always translated as ministry. So this church had some good ministry going on in their community. So what was the problem? Did Jesus have anything to say about them that wasn't happening? Oh yeah. In a word, the problem was compromise. Or another word might mean be settled. They settled. They settled for something. They settled for a life that was far less than what God called for them. So remember that Thyatira was a great commercial center. And as such, they had a great many business guilds. We would call them uh, business associations. You know, the bankers, they would have a guild. The manufacturers would have a, a guild. The retailers, the restaurants, they would all have these associations that they were, they were part of. And these guilds were comprised mostly of pagans because that's what comprised the population of the city. And as they would come together in these different types of guilds, they would have a common meal. And at a common meal, they would have meat that was sacrificed to an idol. And I don't mean that it had been sacrificed that morning and somebody brought it. I meant that right there at this guild, they would sacrifice to an idol. Sort of have a religious, pagan religious ceremony. 
And then drunkenness and immorality would break out. And here was the problem. Christians were compromising their Christian morals and their Christian ethics for the sake of financial gain. They were settling to be less than what God called them to be. Now, of course, if you were a business professional and you didn't participate in those guilds, the local population was less likely to do any business with you. And then how would you support your family? How how would you get by in the world? See, that's it, in the world. We all want to get by in the world. We all want to get ahead in the world. And there is where we have to make a decision. So since by avoiding these guilds, the Christians would have lost their livelihood, there was a strong movement in the city of Thyatira. A movement that wanted to compromise with the worldly standards for the sake of financial gain. After all, if church members do well, we can fund more ministry, right? In our world, how current is this issue? Are there any companies out there that compromise ethics and morals for profit? Any companies that we work for? Or do we? This movement in Thyatira was led by a woman, and Jesus calls her Jezebel, probably not her real name, but Jesus was comparing her actions with those of Jezebel, the woman that married King Ahab in 1 Kings. She pressured her husband uh, to introduce pagan worship into Judaism so it would be more attractive to the people. Let's go to Revelation 2.20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food, sacrifice to idols. So in Thyatira, faith wasn't their problem. I mean, they had faith in Jesus. They loved Jesus. They gathered together and sang their songs to Jesus. They worshipped Jesus. Ministry wasn't their problem. They had some good things going on. that They were serving their community. Endurance and perseverance in these good works wasn't the problem. Jesus praised them for it. They were active church, they were a flourishing church, they were a busy church, and they were probably even a growing church. But they settled for sinful behavior. They tolerated sinful behavior. They tolerated the pagan ways that were creeping into their lives. They tolerated sexual immorality, but hey, they loved Jesus. Not unlike Christians in Thyatira, we are surrounded by a culture that lives life vastly different than how the people of the New Testament were called to live. They live a life that's vastly different than the life that you and I are called to live. How much sin do we tolerate in our life? Do we accept certain behaviors in ourselves because we just can't help it? 
And besides, Jesus loves me. We're pretty good. We know a lot of people that are worse than we are. Do we tolerate sin in our Christian friends? Because after all, you just got to love them, right? Have you noticed our logo for this series? Simply Jesus. 100% grace. But what does the rest of it say? Yeah. Jesus does love us. But there is a truth that we are called to live by. We are in the season of Lent. We're examining our walk with the Lord. So it's good for us during this season to ask ourselves, what behaviors, what language, what action or habits do we tolerate? Faith and service to others are great things, but we are called to be a different kind of people. And we're going to explore what that means. Now, we aren't called to be different so that one day we might get to heaven. I want to say that again. We are not called to be different so that one day we might get to heaven. We're going to heaven. And so now we're going to be different. Amen? And Paul makes this clear. In his letter to the Romans, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In other words, folks, God is graceful to you. He loves you. He's forgiven you. He's saved you from your sin. Eternity is yours. So in light of that, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We gather together for worship corporately on a Sunday, but every moment of every day is worship. And then Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the ways of the world. Be different. Be different. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that takes place. When we nurture our relationship with God. Now I want for a moment to consider that word holy. It's in Romans 12.1. It says offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. That word holy is not attractive to a lot of people. And it's scary for a lot of people. I mean who can attain a level of behavior in their life that we would call holy? People tend to think that living a, a holy life is a life that forsakes all pleasure. And they think it's a life that takes a vow of poverty and spends every waking moment doing church stuff. I pastor a church, and I don't want you to do church stuff, ever. I want you to do Jesus stuff. Now, when one reads the Gospels, I want you to know Jesus. He was holy, right? Right? You think Jesus, anybody? Jesus holy? You know he had a lot of fun. I mean, really, if you have not read the Gospels carefully, read it. Do you know how many parties that guy went to? Every other chapter, he's going to another party, another party, another banquet. My goodness, what was his first miracle? He didn't turn it into lemonade. He didn't turn it into tea. 
So Jesus wasn't against having a good time. And, and I know he had a sense of humor because he gave his followers nicknames. He did. And, and uh, you know, Simon, the guy who was as wishy-washy as they are, he says, you're the rock. It was funny. Everybody laughed. And then there was those two brothers he called Sons of Thunder. I don't know what that was all about. But he had nicknames. Jesus had fun with life. But in his own words, as we looked at way back in January, he was all about his father's business. So he was holy. And we're called to be holy. And I want to look at that word that we find in the New Testament. It is a Greek word, hagios. And what it really means is that you are set apart, different, and you are unlike the other. The problem in Thyatira was not their faith. Their problem was that their faith was not making them unlike others. Instead of being like, uh, unlike others, they were very much like others. And so Lent is a time to consider how our faith in Jesus has made us different. I don't want anybody to feel like you're failing here. Just because you haven't quit your job and become a missionary in a foreign country like some other folks in this church. Brian, Jill, if you're watching, we love you. I'm just messing with you. But there are many ways that we are called to be holy. How about prayer? A number of you are going to go out to eat today or sometime this week. Do you ever just stop right there and pray before you eat? I don't care if you're at McDonald's. Give thanks. And while we're talking about prayer, um, you know, uh, somebody's telling you about this rough time that you're having, they're having, and you say, oh, I'll pray for you. Do you pray for them? Or is it like you see them two weeks later? Oh, there they are. I said I'd pray. Oh, Lord, pray. bless them, bless them, Lord. How about this? Somebody is telling you about a struggle they're having, and instead of saying, I'll pray for you, how about right then and there you can take their hand and say, can I pray with you right now? That's being holy. How about refusing to talk bad about others? This includes social media. Be different. How about be encouraging of others? Be different. Be mindful of the needs of others. Be different. Our collective list could go on and on about how we're supposed to be different. But the point is, Lent is a time when we are supposed to look within ourselves and see if our life is changing. And if it's not, then Lent needs to be a time of focused prayer. Asking God's Spirit to guide us into a changed future. The Apostle Peter wrote this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. In other words, just as He who called you is different from everybody else, so you be different than others in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So in our interactions with anybody, 
We're to be different. In the words that we say, we should be unlike others. So should we give up something for Lent? You bet. Give up being like everybody else. Give up being like the people who who aren't a Christ follower. Give up being like them. The Apostle Peter went on to write, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I want to pause right there. That word nation in the Greek, the word in the Greek is ethnos. We get the word ethnic. Now if somebody is is, uh, of an ethnic origin, sometimes you can tell it. You can tell it right away because they dress differently. They look differently. They speak a different language. They eat a different kind of food. They're noticeably different. And so when Peter wrote, you are a holy nation, he was saying, you are different because you're unlike everybody else. And people, people knew it. People knew it just by being around them. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, once you were not an ethnos, but now you are the ethnos of God. In another letter that Peter wrote, he kind of put it plain and simply this way. You ought to live holy and godly lives. Well, let's return to Jesus' letter to the church in Thyatira. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings, that's Jezebel, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, she was calling herself a prophet and she had these secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have. So Jesus says, hold on to what you have. It's as if Jesus was saying, hey, I know there are temptations all around you. I know it feels like the world is calling your name. I know you're tempted to compromise. But hold on and stay strong. And so Thyatira is an example of a church that accepted the ways of the world as part of their Christian life. But Jesus wants us to be different. And so the problem in Thyatira is the same problem that many churches particularly in America, have. And if you take nothing else home, take this home. When we become tolerant of sin, we become intolerant of holiness. And the church has become intolerant of being different. Because People have sold us a lie that if we're different, then we don't love people who are different than us. And that's not true. When we become tolerant of sin, we become tolerant of being different. The Apostle John wrote this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. And now he's going to explain, because when he says the world, he's not talking about the beauty of God's creation. That's that's not what he's talking about. For everything in the world, that is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they come not from Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
So we can't let these things of the world creep into our lives and just accept them. That's just the way it is. It's just the way I am. That's just the way you are. No, because we need to be holy. We need to be different. The night before Jesus was crucified, he prayed a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was a prayer for his followers and and for us. And, And he makes it clear that we have a purpose. And that purpose is that those who follow the ways of the world will see a better way in us. Let's pick it up in John 17. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. See, a lot of people think that Christians ought to just withdraw from the world. Not at all. And the Apostle Paul writes about that as well. We're not to withdraw from the world. We want the world to see a difference in us. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. That word sanctify, that's, that's almost identical to hagios. It means to be made holy. Make them holy. And that's what he's saying there in verse 17. Make them holy. Make them different. Make them unlike the others by the truth. Your word is the truth. This is the reason I'm always saying read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. We are sanctified and made holy and unlike others when we do. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So, this is our calling. To be different. Jesus was different, right? And what's the verse that we've been looking at all year long? Thank you, Michelle. Anybody else? In this world, we're supposed to be like who? That's like the easiest scripture verse. Okay, Jesus wept maybe is easier. But that's like the easiest scripture verse if you are a Christian. This is your marching orders. If you're a Christian, this is your daily task. This should be on your mind all the time. In this world, we are like Jesus. Yeah, He loves you. But He's also full of truth. And He wants you to live that truth. And so my brothers and sisters, my prayer for you is that this day and every day you would examine your life. Are you becoming different? Don't look for the big major ways like I quit my job, I did this. Look for how you interact with the people in your house. How you interact with the people that you work with. How you interact with the random stranger when you go shopping. Are you changing? Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we give you thanks, we praise your name. For you have saved us from the power of darkness and the power of sin. And you have promised us eternity. In fact, you even say that we are going to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ in glory. Wow, thank you. But there is a truth of this life and this world that you want others to know. And you want our life to point them towards you. So Holy Spirit, come down upon us. 
Forgive us for the times that we have grieved your spirit by ignoring you. I pray that we would listen to you. As you tell us, don't say that. And if we do say that, we'll listen to you when you say, apologize. Help us to be those that are different. There is so much hatred and anger and strife in this world. We are called to be different. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.